Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to plot drift with Tony Dinozo, and we're going to dream a little bigger. We um we had put together a, a list of potential plot drifts, and this is one of them. Um, and I made art, and because the art was freaking adorable, um, we decided to do it tonight. Uh, but it it seems like to me that Tony had a trajectory with his career. He's very ambitious. He was moving full steam ahead. Boom, boom, boom. And then he hit a wall named Gibbs <laughs> and stalled out. So I think it would be really interesting to explore possibilities where he doesn't stall out. Yeah. Because he made detective at a really young age. And that that implies uh, hard work, talent, and ambition. It doesn't work for it. Yeah, because you you don't just they don't just make you detective. You have to deliberately seek it. You have to take the exam and train and yeah, education. I mean, it, it's a it's a long road, and he, and he did it at a really young age. So we need to like it's not, well. I think he made detective in Philly. Um, so I'm gonna. I'm starving. <laughs> um, I know. She just keeps throwing food at us. It's just terrible. <laughs> I, I, okay. Um, I, he made Detective, I think, in Philly, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, the mob thing, technically, in canon was in Baltimore. We've talked in prior prior podcasts about why that doesn't actually make sense. Um, so, based upon canon, he would have made detective before the mob thing. But in my, in my head canon is that he made detective around before I probably because of his undercover work and he made detective probably before they put him in with the mob and that that was all in Philly. So that's, that's my head canon. Um, well, I don't think so because it, the reason why I always move his mob experience to being in Philly is because it doesn't make sense that he would have stayed in Philly after going undercover with the mob. he would, If they didn't actually know, if he managed to make the bus without them knowing he was a cop, he'd have had to leave town. It just, it, it doesn't make sense that he, he took down a mob, mob boss and just went back to work the next day. So they kill people for that, right? So it just, it, it doesn't gel. Um, so it, assuming that he, if you go with that idea, he takes down the mob boss and he then leaves Philly. He would have had to have been a detective before the mob thing. Cause they wouldn't have sat him for a detective exam just to transfer him just for him to go get a job with, with in Baltimore. So, I mean, but everybody, you kind of have to work out your own timeline for Tony, because like I said, Canon's a little bit contradictory about what he was doing and where. And if you go with the Canon age, his Canon age, you've got about five years of work experience. You got to fill in. You know, so, um, but I like what we get in canon in terms of that he had that five or six year of police officer experience that he made detective in about three years, which three to four years. And that implies a lot of drive, right? As Kira said. You there? I'm here. It's just, it's, it's. it, 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 um, it also implies that he probably has a second degree. Because a lot of police agencies require, um, at the very least, an undergraduate degree in some kind of criminal justice or or, or related criminal science field. Um, 
So just an education degree in um, physical education wouldn't be enough. Not to, say, not to say that every department requires it, but a lot do. And so it doesn't make sense that he doesn't have that degree. It could boil down to their slap hazard um, character development. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty easy to say that he either that he double majored sports science and criminology um, or physical education and criminology. And all he talks about is the physical education. Once he got to NCIS, I, I don't believe he that that's what he did, at the, you know, when he was with the police. I think that sort of self-deprecating thing started at NCIS. And you have to kind of fill in your reasons for why. Because it clearly, when you, in the episode Baltimore, he clearly wasn't like that. It's my headcanon that he did it because Gibbs can't treat any other man like an equal. I think eventually, but see, when they first met, they didn't have that vibe. In Baltimore, and one of the things I thought about the episode Baltimore is I thought it showed an interesting dynamic between Tony and Gibbs is that they really did seem to approach each other more at that even level until that last little scene where Gibbs had him come to Yeah, because Gibbs got him under his thumb. Right. And and I think that, you know, it just kind of depends upon how you you spend that time period. Um yeah, I think there, there are was... some police departments that wouldn't require a degree, but there are some agencies and police departments across the country who do require a degree in some sort of criminal science. I had an uncle that went from local law enforcement to the FBI and he left law enforcement um, as a senior detective and he had to get two degrees before he finished. In fact, his second degree led him into the FBI. So on study.com, it says, although a GED or high school diploma may be all that's required for some police officer positions, many agencies require a cr cr criminal degree. In a college degree in criminal justice, law enforcement, or a related field. Both associates and bachelor's degree programs are available for aspiring detectives. Da, 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 da. So it's just got a lot of information about what kind of information you need to do. But, but the fact of the matter is that at Tony's level, at his ambition, considering how fast he moved to detective, he got fast tracked. Why did he get fast tracked? Because he probably came into the job with two degrees. I'd say he double majored in undergrad. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that, but anyway, when you look at, you can do, there's research you can do into how long, like it, how long you, how much education you need for various, some, some big cities have their own police academy. So like you go to their police academy with, um, with recruitment into into that in that into that organization in mind, it's like you go to a generic police academy. Some places there are a more generic academy, like you're it's, they're covering like the various sheriff's departments and stuff. Um, but you know, big cities like LA, they have their own police they have their own police academy. So, and I would imagine like probably Peoria probably also has its own police academy. I'd have to actually look into that. But anyway, and and the individual police academies might have a, a different requirement. That you know, there, it's not standardized in, in any kind of meaningful way. So, you know, you could work out a, a, a reason why Tony started in Peoria and very quickly went to Philly. And it could have been because, like somebody mentioned in the chat room, that he um, 
was a better fit in a bigger department because he did have the double degrees and he was, um, it could have been, um, it could have been, you could have something that he had like a, a the police chief wanted to, took Tony with him to Philly because he saw Tony's potential and fast tracked him into the, into detective when they got to Philly and Tony had the right credentials with the double degree to be able to get fast tracked into detective. And then he went undercover with the mob and brought down a mob boss and they had to get him the fuck out of town. And he went to Baltimore again, another very big city with a big police department where he's, I mean, they have, Baltimore has a lot of major crime. So, um, I was it clear in the episode Baltimore was he in major case or was he in homicide? I think he was in like major case or something, right? I know that they were there for a homicide, but I don't remember. He was in homicide. Okay, so I know but that I, they were basically fighting over a body. Gibbs and Tony. Um, no, Gibbs was on a, um, Gibbs was on a money laundering thing and Tony, um, he was, he was setting up a fake buy with the, with the guy that Tony wanted to get for questioning the guy Tony had under surveillance. So that's how Gibbs got arrested. So that actually sounds more like major case than it does just homicide. Well, their cases intersected on this one guy who was a witness or something, um, because I thought somebody died in the episode. There was, there was, there was a body, but the, okay. the person that, I have person, a distinct memory of a body but, in an alley, and it was just the, like. But the person who was looking that they were looking for, they had under under surveillance. Peanut, what is his name? Peanut or something like that. Um, uh, that guy was doing a, a like a money a money laundering thing with Gibbs. Gibbs was on a completely separate case and Tony arrested Gibbs and it was Gibbs let himself supposedly be arrested to help cement his cover so that he could, and there was crossover between the two cases, the, the, the death and, um, and the money laundering case that, that get, or whatever, not money laundering. It was maybe a theft or something, but that's one of the reasons why, um, the nature of the case Gibbs was on was why the, the timeline that they set in canon for when that event occurred, which was October of 2001, didn't make any sense. Yeah. Gibbs was on a petty, basically on a petty money laundering type, money laundering at a payroll office or something like that when he should have been working on, you know, national security terrorism issues, maybe. Yeah, a month that was after 9-11. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a month after 9-11. Yeah, they would have a Washington D.C. agent off in Baltimore. They're one of their top agents off chasing money laundering. I think I like your timeline better. Yeah, right. I have never heard that, so I feel like that has to be Fannin. Anyway, so that's why, because it doesn't make sense to me. So, in my personal timeline for Tony, when I work it up, I have Tony coming into the. Um, meeting Gibbs on March 15th and that gives him time to process through flat C before 9-11 and he's in NCIS when 9-11 occurs. Um, yeah, yeah, it's my personal headcanon that whoever created Mike Franks modeled him after their toddler. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or both asshole father-in-law and their toddler. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I think I'm not sure that I think that I think that it was the betrayal of his partner, his partner being dirty. And then Gibbs that there's there was that kind of, you know, perfect storm there that I think it's Well, you've got Gibbs, Wendy, and his partner. Right. You've got that perfect storm that kind of I think destroyed his ambition. And all of a sudden he hasn't got the girlfriend, his partner, who was probably the person he was closest to in the world at that point, outside of his his girlfriend um, slash fiance is basically betrayed him. And I think he felt probably angry, you know, like he didn't have any foundation. And so he's got Gibbs there. Who's domineering, controlling um, type A personality who fluctuates between treating Tony like slave labor and treating him like a son. Yeah. So, I think Gibbs became kind of like, Gibbs was probably there for him when Wendy dumped him. And I think it created this really unfortunate um, codependent thing that wound up being really, that, that killed Tony's ambition. I mean, if you're going to give some kind of explanation for what you see in canon. And then... Tony became very invested in his role, which I think his role was the person who makes Gibbs work for the agency, right? He makes Gibbs functional on a team. Tony does. And part of the way Tony does that is figuring out how he needs to be to make everybody else perform at their best. Um, keeping in mind Gibbs, right? So really it's all about, it's not just people performing at their best, you know, in the agency, it's performing at their best considering the way Gibbs is. So how do we get McGee to not be so nervous about Gibbs, you know, blah, 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 blah. So I think that that all kind of created the situation where you have him, all that ambition. They that started shortly after he signed his contract in human resources. It, no, it started before. Was it before? Yeah, <laughs> Tony got his first head stop, like um 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 head slap, his first day in the NCIS building. Yeah, Tony turned and looked at the he's he was looking at the human resources door, and Gibbs slapped him in the back of the head for something he said, and Tony turned around and said, "Don't do that again." And Gibbs just smiled and walked off. So I mean, and, and Gibbs, I you could either look at Gibbs' behavior as being somewhat, you know, kind of put put kind of a Machiavellian spin on it, or you could just look at it as Gibbs is a bull in a china shop, and you know, he doesn't. Cause I I don't know that I actually think that Gibbs puts that much thought into the way he behaves. I think he stores some more. He knows things work when Tony's there, and that they probably don't when Tony isn't there. Um, yeah, I agree. I do think it's a gradual thing. I do think he gets worse over time. I think that post um, hiatus is like just a downward spiral for Gibbs as a character. It just got worse and worse and worse and worse as the episodes move forward. Um, and maybe it was a re it, um, it was a renewal of grief. You could say that in the character that it was a renewal of grief of losing his wife and child, and that he just that in some ways it caused a catastrophic. I mean, if you look at Gibbs post bombing versus pre bombing, 
he is he's a little controlling he is used to getting his own way uh underneath it all i think that he um he respects tony but after the bombing that respect gets eroded until there's nothing left yeah Gibbs comes back. I mean, you could write it where it the, it galled Gibbs that Gibbs was just really greatly offended to recognize that NCIS could exist without him. <laughs> and that Tony kept the ball going. How dare despite he? Despite his team actively working against him. And how dare he, right? Right, how dare he. And there's a lot of jealousy there. Or it could be just that the bombing fucked him up. And he becomes this hyper-vigilant, um, aggressive asshole. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, Gibbs had a traumatic brain injury in right. the bombing, right? And sometimes you have personality changes with that kind of thing, depending upon where the damage was. Um, so he should never have come back to work. So Gibbs, I'm not saying that Gibbs was perfect before the bombing. Obviously not. He was guilty of a of a of a revenge murder that I actually don't have a problem with. Dude had it coming because he killed a kid. I mean, I can understand his reasoning for wanting to kill Shannon Gibbs because she was a witness against him. I get it, but why kill the kid? Rude as fuck. And yeah. I actually blame, blame Franks for that behavior because Franks manipulated Gibbs into taking that shot because he couldn't make a case against him legally. He turned Gibbs into a weapon, and it was probably very easy to do in his grief. And if Franks really and wanted, then, if Frank should have, if Franks wanted Hernandez dead that badly, he should have killed him himself. And then, in order to further manipulate Gibbs, Gibbs didn't care. Gibbs had, I, I think when Gibbs took that shot, he, he, he'd already decided that, that his life was over. He, he, he was that far gone in his grief. That's why he didn't police his brass. He didn't give a shit. He thought he was done. He thought he was over. But then he gets back and what's Frank's do? He continues to manipulate and shape Gibbs. Hauls him into the into NCIS to cover his own ass. And it just and he just continued to manipulate Gibbs until he had Gibbs exactly where he wanted, and then Frank's retired. Because mm -hmm. there's no telling what kind of where Gibbs would have turned if it had not been for Frank's and what Frank's did to him um, when it comes down to Shannon and Kelly. Yeah, and well, yeah, but. He made Gibbs a very valuable asset for himself. And even after he retired, whenever he needed something, he pulled that string. Mm -hmm. Now, Julie has talked about this before about, you know, really just not, um, that her biggest problem with her issue with Gibbs really is the hypocrisy of him working actively trying to put people away from murder um, when he's guilty of it himself. I honestly blame all that on Frank's. Yeah, but it's not just the that he did it himself. Is that if he if it was a one line thing and one time if it was a, I don't I'm not trying to excuse murder here. I'm not saying that. But if it had no, just been that one coming. right if, right <laughs> if it had just been that one moment when he was killing the man who killed his daughter, when yeah. he was emotionally compromised and Mike Franks had pointed him at 
that but it what the thing is it wasn't just that if he and if he had then been diligent and enforced the law and i i still would have found it a little bit hypocritical but okay but then he starts choosing who to let go on let like get away with murder and now, he lets his mother-in-law get away with murder he lets mike franks get away with murder the bombing because i am funky on the timeline now i Frank, think that Franks I, is I, after. Franks is after the bombing. I, I see that whole thing it. with Mike Franks is actually like, yeah, because he installed that button in Gibbs. He shaped Gibbs into exactly what he needed Gibbs to be. Um, the mother-in-law is also after the. Is also after the. Um, is also after the bombing. Yeah, Gibbs worked with Jenny for a while. He also worked with um, G. Callen for a while. They worked in Russia together, I think. Um, he uh, he met Vance at one point there in that episode where we see that Vance when Vance was um, undercover earlier on, on his career. We see Gibbs briefly. Um, yeah, Gibbs is a grown ass man, but when Frank's got his clutches into Gibbs, Gibbs was grieving the loss of the love of his life and his only child. His only child had been murdered. And I don't know what that kind of grief would do to somebody. Especially if a man of, of Gibbs's training who who would like to believe that he could defend and protect his family and he wasn't even there to do it. And some monster killed his killed his baby. Killed his baby. And you take that kind of grief. And you have a man like Franks who is manipulative and amoral and frankly, just a complete and utter bastard. And you mix those two together. And yet yeah, Gibbs was probably suffering from PTSD at that point, not just from the war zone, but from losing his wife and child. Um, and then what's Franks do? He puts a sniper rifle in Gibbs' hand and points him towards the man who killed his baby. Yeah, you don't even, like, your brain doesn't even finish maturing until you're, like, 25. <laughs> I mean. Oh, yeah, you're, but see, like, the bombing is, what, his second head injury? So you could write it that that second head injury just finished the job. Basically. Yeah. I mean, you can twist a character ever how you want. You can move them, shift them just a little bit here or there, depending on what you need. But I really do believe um, that from a, like from a pure character point of view, and not because it's bad writing, but just like from a characterization point of view, that the bombing and the memory loss and having to relive the murders of his wife and child, and then what does he do? He retreats Right into Mike Frank's space. It says something really ugly about Frank's. That's where Gibbs went. He wakes up from a head injury. Doesn't remember the all the years after his wife and child are dead. And he ends up living in Mike Frank's house. There's honestly no telling what Mike Frank's did. Manipulative wise to Gibbs during that time period. It's that or actually encourage him to grow that terrible mustache. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and encourage him to not heal because basically Frank's, from what literally we saw of Gibbs' time on the beach, Frank's wasn't encouraging him to do much of anything. But drink and fix his yeah. hot tub. And that's not going to, you know, 
That's not going to help much when you've got amnesia. So, you know, the thing is, so you can do a lot with that. Yeah, you can. And so that's why, it, so depending upon what you want to do, where you want to set your story, um, what you want to do. I mean, I, honestly, one of the easiest ways to get like Tony with a little bit of ambition is you got to kind of, the easiest way is to intercept him early. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to get him before he's deeply entrenched. So a good location, a good time actually for that potentially could be, um, I don't. I don't care about Gibbs. Um, uh, if you want to do something with Gibbs, you got to do it before the bombing because something is really screwy with Gibbs after the bombing. But I, setting Gibbs yeah. aside, since since this is a Tony plot drift, um, with I had a with, tangent. Tony, <laughs> with Tony, yeah, but with Tony, you have. Um, if you put him at NCIS at 9-11, he could, that's when he could step into like that type of intelligence role where he's really good at figuring out puzzles. He starts working on, a you know, one of the joint terrorism task force or, and he winds up capturing somebody else's attention. And maybe he finds a different mentor briefly in, in the course of that investigation that makes him feel like he has, somebody has his back again. And maybe, you know, like you said, reignites that spark of ambition that he's got and that gets him into working more in intelligence or in counterterrorism or something that I honestly think is a very good fit for him. Um, and encourages him not to... Dwayne Pride? Um, ask who the guy in, in New Orleans is. The guy in New Orleans is Dwayne Pride. Um, oh, daddy. Yeah. <laughs> we just called Bacula because of the daddy. I don't know, but it's great. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have thought it back in my necessary roughness days. <laughs> right? He was so pretty. <laughs> and, and a nice butt. Um, but you could do something around there where he just is kind of pulled away because he his skill set becomes visible to people he could actually be one of the one of the um early recruits for home for homeland security because mm -hmm. homeland is formed shortly after 9 11 right i think it's formed in 2003 homeland security oh 2000 november of 2002 that's almost right if they'd waited just another month november 25th 2002 is when um yeah but that's when the agency became more it became what it is, but there would have been uh, like preliminary um, committees and uh, maybe a task force that was the foundation of what would become Homeland Security, um, a multi-organizational no. thing. Yeah, they they would have been looking at it for a while, but uh, th that was just the day the bill was signed into law. So, so the DoD could have been like um, culling resources from various places and putting together um, a task force, and that task force. Um, could you know if yeah if tony got the right person's attention during investigations and during operations around 9-11 uh post 9-11 tony they could have been recruiting him and if tony hasn't been on the team very long because he's just been recruited he's just come out of flat c right um you know he's not on the mcrt yet right because gibbs that team didn't exist at that point 
it's not clear exactly the the MCRT Gibbs became the leader of the MCRT probably sometime in 2003, um, maybe late 2002. But it wasn't there when Gibbs when Tony started. When Tony started, he would have just been working with Gibbs as his partner. That's that's canon. So, but the exact timeline of when the MCRT was created, when when Gibbs became the head of that team, is is ambiguous so if there he's not on the team yet and there's no big attachment to anybody potentially but gibbs it might be easier to pull him away and it would actually be very easy because you know 9-11 stirred up a lot of um a lot of anger a lot of patriotism um law enforcement suffered some big losses in new york uh there's a lot of grief uh and they're forming this new agency to to protect the country um and it would honestly be very easily to put to pull tony Genozo into an organization like that in that really high emotional time period yeah it could be if he gets the right mentor who says to him and says look you hiding what you can do you playing it down downplaying your skills letting other people take credit for your your insights isn't isn't helping the country right now it's not helping save people you need to be going balls to the wall and doing your very best every single day and if people don't like that you're better than them they just no we don't care right now just they can just go take a flying fuck you need to do the very very best you can every single day and maybe if the right person at the right time says that to Tony and he just, that ambition just rises back up in him that he's been stomping on for some fucking reason. And he just goes all in. It could be Gibbs. I mean, like I he's a Marine. He's got, he's bringing with patriotism too. This is a very emotional time. And Tony's like, hey, I've been offered this thing. And Gibbs is like, you better take it. Don't, don't fuck like around. This is, this is the security of our country. Get in there. Not that Gibbs. I think that I, I think that whole too confident thing really comes after the bombing. Because Gibbs felt replaced. Displaced. Well, I also think that Gibbs knew Tony was lying to him. And I think that when you couple that with brain, you know, the brain injury and the effects of that, Gibbs distrust. might have started to become, he might have started becoming distrustful and paranoid about Tony and lashing out at him in, in subtle ways. Um, not so subtle to us, but ways that felt kind of like, ga- probably were like gaslighting, right? Um, he's going to knock him down. Uh, because on some level he he knew and he was processing that, that he couldn't trust Tony, even though he didn't really stop to really think point, about why. They were partners. They had not formed the MCRT yet. No, they didn't. So they would have just been maybe partners, maybe just approaching partners when 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 nine eleven happened. Well, um, somebody De- asked, depending me- on the timeline you yeah. choose to use. Yeah, yeah. Um, somebody posited that Tony didn't break his leg but went pro, and then he decided to become a Fed after nine eleven. Uh, the, the issue with that is that Tony doesn't have any credibility. Um, he could go to Fletzy after 9-11 and become a Fed, but he, you lose that years of, you know, that six years of experience that he's coming into NCIS. I mean, he could be a rock star going into the FBI Academy if he gets the right sponsorship to get in. Um, Cause that's not easy. Um, 
You can't just decide to join the FBI Academy and get in. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't just. It's actually much harder to to get in the FBI than it is to to become to join the military. So, you know, Tony, even he'd have to. And I don't know that it's stretching credulity a bit that he would have had a pro football career and gone. Oh, here's my college credentials from six six to eleven years ago, depending on the timeline you years. Um, I'd like to join the FBI Academy. It's a little squiffy. But he could get it like somebody like you know paves the way for him, um, so that could be he could impress somebody at some point. It's just if he's been working for years as in pro football, I just don't know why anybody would find him that impressive. That they would sponsor him into the FBI academy. No, it, it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't clock. Not for me, but. Um, but again, we're, we're we're plotting ideas where he's finding his ambition. So, um, so yeah, we're this is this is more canon divergent than it is anything else. Um, but speaking of canon divergence, Rough Trade signups are still open until the fifteenth, and Quantum Bang signups are open to the thirty first. Just getting that out there for you guys. <laughs> so do your thing. Um, <laughs> so. Around that time, and I do like to move Tony into, we've seen it. I do like to move Tony into intelligence. I think it's a good fit for him. Um, but he also, I also like seeing, moving him into profiling. Um, if he's at the FBI, there is a um, team one um, of the BAU deals with, I believe team one's the one that deals with terrorism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's one that does terrorism. There's one that does... Um... Uh, there's crimes against children. children. There's crimes against crimes with adults. Um, and then that's team four, which is the BAU we see in criminal minds is the one that deals with. Um, but team one is the one that uh, counterterrorism. Yeah. Team one is counterterrorism, arson and bombing. Team two is threats, cybercrime and public corruption. Team three is crimes against children. Team four is crimes against adults and VICAP. And team five is research strategy and instruction. So team four is the BAU we see in Criminal Minds. Um, I have had Tony in team one before, um, which I think is a good fit for him. So if you use the canon timeline, that would take, you know, that it that it's post nine eleven. Tony would be coming out of Fletzy, um probably in a time period where they would be actively trying to recruit people um into the FBI, into that kind of thing, and he could skip NCIS altogether. If you do the uh, original if you if do he, the canon timeline. Which is that he left he went to Fletzy probably in October. Um and that he could be really impressed somebody. And he could do really well at Fletzy, and they. I mean, it. I think that all the recruits coming into Fletzy at that point um, would have been on their game, because it would have been like there to be, like I said, it's a really a highly emotional time period in our country. Um, emotions ran high, stress was high, um, patriotism was through the roof. Um, and if he stands out at Fletzy, he could probably write his ticket with any federal agency. And let's be honest, NCIS probably wouldn't make the cut. And that could be that cause even if you do it, he's at Fletzy before 9-11. Um, it's, so he gets he's getting out of Fletzy so close to when 9-11 occurs that his instructors are going to remember him. 
and mm-hmm. say, look, there's a new recruit at NCIS that you guys should be trying to pick up. He just got there, but yeah, because Tony is dynamic and he's smart. He's also good looking and that plays. Looks play. It can he's, get you into a lot of places. He's, he's charming. charming. Mm-hmm. He knows how to, and because of his upbringing, he knows how to interact with people in positions of power and who have. Um, oh, and by the way, he like totally destroyed the Bob, you know, the mob in Philadelphia. He went undercover for six months, rocked it out. <laughs> <laughs> you have Morrow calling Gibbs, like you know, I I know you wanted that cop from Baltimore, but um. He left Letsy, and we're not going to get him. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, you could even, depending on the timing, you could even have him at Fletsy when 9-11 occurs. He's there when it occurs. And so he never makes it to NCIS. He may have been recruited by NCIS, but he doesn't make it there. I don't know if six months is undercover is canon. That was just always what I've heard. Um, that, that he was six months undercover with mob. Jilly? <laughs> I don't. It's very. It's discussed very little. His time. His his. All it sa- All he says really. I think it's a lo- one liner in one episode. It's in frame up, where he says that he brought down um, a mob boss and the mob boss he brought down in. But honestly, I think six months is about the minimum you would take that you would need to take down a mob boss. You would yeah. have to work your way into the ranks. I mean, six months would be probably about the minimum to get to the point where you could take down a mob boss. Oh no, I agree. I agree, Dark. I think that there are NCIS also had concerns post nine eleven, especially since um, you know they're they're responsible for force protection and support, and you know Congress started pondering uh, declaring war and 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 you know um, sending soldiers to the Middle East. So that an NCIS would have had to up their numbers in the Middle East as a result, which is why, again, it's just so strange that can the, the circumstances under which Gibbs and Tony met, that there's no mentions of 9-11 with it being a month later. It was just bad. Somebody did not look at the fucking the calendar. Ta- they didn't think they about it. Yeah. It just did not connect with them. And so based on the weather, I make it spring instead of fall. That's why I made the change, because it's clearly not summer and not winter. So I made the six months swap the other direction, because, come on. Um, well, yes, that too, Sam. <laughs> well, yeah, they can't. Well, what it boils down to is the NCIS, NCIS does not have a Bible. They have no series Bible, yeah. It's they don't have a series Bible. They don't have... Um, uh, concrete character profiles and all that plays. Um, it's like you go into Teen Wolf. How could you write? How could you write a full season of a show and not know who the the first name of your character's father? And it's not like it's a dad that we never saw. It's not like it was a parent who was never around. I mean. Yes, Dark. How old is Derek? And what is his birthday? Is it November 8th or is it December 25th? We're just not sure. His driver's license says uh, n- November 8th, I think. But that apparently was a fake driver's license. But why would he have a fake driver's license with his real name on it? Who does that? Well, you know, you actually can't 
interrogation techniques were probably taught in Flitz in, in, in Fletzy. And he also would have received other training in Fletzy. Um but it needs to be said some people are just very good at that kind of thing. Some people are very good at reading other people. So there's a natural talent there. And it could be said that both Tony and Gibbs have that. Gibbs, I think Gibbs is actually very good at reading people. Mm-hmm. To their detriment. <laughs> I think that Gibbs has spent most of his career as um as an NCIS agent playing people like fiddles. I mean, Gibbs and Tony have different different I'm sorry, they have different um <sighs> uh, interrogation styles, and which one's more effective always would depend upon who you, who they're talking to. Because honestly, as as if they make they make it out in the show that Gibbs' aggressive style of interrogation will work on everybody, but I just don't think that's true. No, not, uh, not you know, honestly. If somebody aggressive came at me, I would shut down, mm-hmm. and probably wouldn't say a word. Whereas I do think that Tony could literally annoy somebody into a confession. It's like, look, I'll confess if you will just shut up. <laughs> but I also think that he knows how to get people. Like, it, I think, I think that he'd be the um, kind of guy who would go into an interrogation and a guy who really wants to, like, a criminal who really wants to brag and wants to be appreciated. That Tony would just ignore him. He just put his feet up on the desk, and I, I wrote this actually. I, wrote, I love that scene. Yeah, well, he, just I love that he just he just put his feet up on the desk on the table and play Started games. Candy Crush or whatever it was he was playing. But yeah, it, it makes sense. Um, in Hold My Coffee, I John pointed out their interview styles and how he thought that Meredith would not appreciate Tony. Um, I think that neither Meredith nor Rodney would appreciate Tony's interview style because they don't like to be. Neither of them would appreciate his his charm. They don't want to feel like they're because being, Rodney um, has nothing but disdain for that kind of shit. <laughs> they don't want to feel like they're being handled or manipulated. They just want it right. straight. Which is why I think that it'll always gives you know that's where Gibbs' natural skill set is. Um, so, but yeah, <laughs> one of my favorite moments is when when they're in her room and Gibbs is interviewing her. And Tony smiles at her, and she makes an ugly face. <laughs> and it really amuses John. And that was my favorite part in that whole episode when I wrote it. <laughs> She's like, "You're not getting anywhere, pretty boy." <laughs> but I also because think Tony, Tony would actually been pretty young at that point. Mm-hmm. But I also think that Tony has the potential to be um, very compassionate and good with victims. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that also Tony can be very intimidating when he wants to be. Which isn't often, but you yeah. see it. Mm-hmm. He has an edge that he keeps soft most of the time, but every once in a while it'll come out and he'll and he'll look like a shark. Like when he smiled at Eli David after he got him to basically confess to what he had done. Mm-hmm. That was a good moment, wasn't it? It was like you didn't even know you were in the room with the Great White, did you? <laughs> And you know, in I have to say, even though I really hated that whole Aaliyah 
mm-hmm. uh, arc. I hated that whole arc. Some of Tony's best episodes, the best acting, were or was in that, that episode and also in, um, oh, what was that? The first episode of season season seven, that episode where he's playing Salim Mulman. He the, the he was spectacular in that episode, um, and it's like and it's it's one of those um, cases of where they're so all over the place with Tony, and it's like the level of competence he has in in those episodes is so at odds with what they pull. There was an episode where there's a bunch of like directors or something in a room and there's some sort of like major thing going on. And Tony was stuttering because stuttering talking to them and being an idiot because he was intimidated by these, all these agency heads or something. And I was like, really? That is completely contrary to anything we've ever seen from him before. I didn't like it. And I was like left to assume he was doing it on purpose so that they would underestimate him and not promote him ever. Yeah. There could also be, you know, you could also work an element into Tony's psyche if you want to explain why he did that, is that he he didn't want to be in charge for some reason. And it could be that he gets that voice of reason is that he didn't want to ultimately be responsible. And somebody gives him a kick in the ass and say, stop it, stop it. You cannot run away from responsibility that kind of responsibility. It's gonna it's gonna land on your head whether you like it or not. You be responsible for other people at some point or another. You don't have to be a director if you don't want to be, but... You could either let it land on your head or you can catch it. But it's coming either way. Yeah. You're not going to be able to avoid it because unless you just don't want to do your job well, which I will kick your ass for, unless you just don't want to do your job well, you are eventually going to be in charge. So why don't you just suck it up and get over this? Get some therapy, man. (sighs) I kind of want, I have this. <laughs> so it is my headcanon. I've adopted one of Kira's characters. She doesn't even know it. In all of my NCIS stories, all of them, the Commandant of the Marine Corps is Randolph Rampart. Well, he, be- he better be. <laughs> See? See? She's like, of course, of course. So, of course he is. He's the Commandant of the Marine Corps in all my NCIS stories and all my Stargate your- stories. But he's your <laughs> original character, so that's not weird. It's slightly weird that He's the un that he's like uncre- the uncredited commandant of the Marine Corps in all of my stories. Um, anyway, what if Rampart? I just have this like this goofy idea of like Rampart and Tony talking to him at some point, and Rampart suggesting that he said just get some therapy, son, and get over this, and get out there and kick somebody's ass because we need you at the top of your game, not being not being worried about this stuff that doesn't even matter. And I'll personally kick Gibbs' ass if he's holding you back. I just like the idea of Randolph telling him to go get some therapy. <laughs> we could like we could do like a we could do a another unicorn relay and Rampart could be our unicorn and he could run around giving people come to Jesus meetings. I'm not mad at this idea. I'm not <laughs> mad at this idea at all. The, com- the, we, we, the commandant of the Marine Corps wants to talk to you. <laughs> I'm not in the Marines. He doesn't care. <laughs> We also should do a relay just as an aside. Would with, you like to get in the car with or without assistance? <laughs> it could be like the way Mycroft always sends his those assistants to pick people up. Is there's an assistant that comes and picks up people for Rampart. But we also should do a relay for the Bobs. Oh, God. The, I just got bunnied. What? Oh. oh. 
Oh, 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 God. I just got bunnied. So what if Gibbs, like, shows up at Tony's apartment while he's on vacation, right? And he's, um, he's actually with Rampart. Like, oh, with, 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 with Rampart. Bib- biblically and with? Rampart answers the door. I'm not mad at this idea. <laughs> uh, maybe just wearing Tony's jeans. I don't know. <laughs> wearing whatever he'd like to fucking wear. He's a commandant of the Marine Corps. He can wear what he likes. <laughs> just give salute. <laughs> well, sir, you're yeah. out of uniform. You're very out of uniform, sir, but I'm going to salute you anyway. <laughs> and yeah, I-, I did cast Tom Selleck as um, Randolph Rampart. Um, yeah. It's like, and I know that shirt. I saw it earlier today. Oh, good God. I'm not mad at this idea, Kira. <laughs> it would just really amuse me if he showed up to bitch at Tony like, before being on vacation and he interrupts um, his sexcation with the Commandant of the Marine Corps. <laughs> which, uh, which. Which one of which of your which of your uh, fluff bingo squares aren't written yet? <laughs> I've only written three. <laughs> I, I got plenty of room. I gotta go, but I gotta <laughs> I gotta see which topics because I'm gonna find a topic that this will fit in. <laughs> I I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have. Oh, I'm gonna wouldn't give... it be fun if like they're all invited to a function and this is like post don't ask don't tell being removed and Rampart asks Tony to dance. I do have a dance. Um. Bingo. Don't make me beg, yeah, Kira. Don't make me it. beg. <laughs> and Tony's like, are you fucking serious? <laughs> no, I mean, it would just be like Rampart letting his men know if you want to dance with your guy, you can. I'm going to go dance with this really, really, really attractive NCIS agent. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me beg. <laughs> I will beg. It would just be you... really, it'd just be really fun. I will beg if you need me to. <laughs> I'm writing it down. I'm writing. I don't it down. make. I don't make this offer lightly. <laughs> if Tony Steve is the mothership, what is Tony Rampart? Um, I don't know. I just like it. I just like it. Marine ship one. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so someone had a question. What if Tony decides to bug out and find his own path when Frank shows up in person the first time? Uh, that episode is early in season four. It's when Frank gives Tony a concussion and Gibbs lets Tony get away with both the concussion and murder. I'm not sure actually which of the two I found more offensive because Frank's had a really good reason for killing that guy, but he did not have a really good reason for giving, for knocking Tony unconscious. Um, Yeah, there was no excuse for that. He could have killed Tony. Yeah, because head injuries that knock you unconscious, despite the fact that they're very, and he was unconscious for a while, despite the fact that the length of time he was unconscious into indicates like i think a moderate post-traumatic a moderate traumatic brain injury um but the the length of time we are not doing magnum <laughs> just go to the corner um the length of time but that kind of 
that could have given him a seizure disorder. It could have, I mean, it could have seriously fucked him up. Traumatic brain injury. And TV is very cavalier about knocking people unconscious, but actually being knocked unconscious is not good. And and they just acted like Tony was just fine. Oh, it's not a big deal that you knocked my guy, knocked my, my, you know, my team member unconscious. It, what the hell? Gibbs should have whooped his ass. He really should have kicked his ass. Even if they didn't arrest him, and they should have, um, he should have whooped his ass. He should have limped back to Mexico. <laughs> okay, it it's made epi- no sense to me. I don't. It's episode four, and it's called "Faking It." Um, is the episode in question? Is that is that when? When's the bomb? When's the bomb? The bomb is uh, season three, episode twenty-three. So this is post bomb. It's post bomb. Frank's already got his his clutches his his claws back into Gibbs in a very I think it probably in a in a deeper way than he ever had before because he depended on Frank's to fill in all of his blanks. Mm-hmm. And there's not many ha- there's not telling how many blanks he filled in correctly on purpose. And that's really close to when Gibbs came back. The undercover op is not very far into the whole thing. And if you give Tony somebody that's in his corner, who's a sports structure, and then he gets a traumatic brain injury from getting clocked over the head, Mike Frank suffers no repercussions from it. Um, it could be a good, you know, a good Look, moment. Randolph has got some shit to say about this. <laughs> I'm going to end up writing Randolph's emo blog. <laughs> It's going to be terrible. <laughs> I blame Queenie. <laughs> We're going to blame Clooney for all kinds of things. Um, but, you know, Ram- Rampart could do that. I don't know what, I don't know what Gibbs would do if the Commandant of the Marine Corps shows up at Bethesda's. Like, well, not that Tony actually went to the hospital, but what the fuck ever. But although, I know, think it'd be really gaps. interesting if he went to find, if, if, if he went to call Tony and Rampart answered the phone. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was looking for Denozo. Gibbs. It's Rampart here. Um, Tony's at Bethesda. Um, where are we on arresting the man that um, attacked this federal agent under your command? Oh, well, he's gone back to Mexico. Is that right? And how did he get away? Well, I never tried to detain him. I see. And then like, you could just hang up and just start dialing Vance. No, fuck that. He's on the sec now. <laughs> we need to have a discussion. Yeah, I see. <laughs> I hate people. I hate when people do that to me. I see. I see. Yeah. I really fucking wish you didn't. <laughs> well, in the episode, it's not clear exactly what happened with Tony, other than the fact they had they had paramedics looking at him and Gibbs was saying he was going to be fine but the thing is with brain injuries it doesn't work like that with with if you're knocked unconscious you go to the hospital but Tony didn't he didn't I mean he could so, have had um he could have had bleeding on his brain he could have had swelling he probably did have swelling actually um that's what concussion wise he, he, he would have had brain swelling he could have ended up with vision problems he could have ended up with vertigo permanent seizure. vertigo in some cases he could have had seizures and it doesn't necessarily. It could have led. It could have that. Those kinds of brain injuries can lead to permanent seizure disorders. But sometimes it's not permanent. It's just until the swelling goes down. 
it's problem. It's a problem. So Randolph could come home from work and find a con- his concussed partner, and they got it. They've been keeping their relationship on the down low. And he's like, "What the hell happened? Why are you? Why didn't you go to the hospital? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh no, no, you're not, motherfucker. <laughs> honestly, someone with a concussion is not the right person to make a decision about whether or not they're fine. I mean, he needed to be in the emergency room. Look at Ellie. <laughs> she's off making art. So she's trying to inspire you. It's working. <laughs> I really didn't need any help, but thanks. <laughs> I'm saving that to my folder. To go get all fluffy with your bingo. That needs to go. Yeah, that needs to go in my bingo. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I don't... Yeah, I well, feel I'll like hear- it's actually contrary to Tony's character that he didn't get checked out because he's not a dumbass and he got hit in the head. Yeah, and you could write it that Tony calls Rampart from the hospital and says, "Hey, I'm in the hospital," or Rampart's listed as Bethesda as his next of kin, which would be on file from, or his emergency contact <laughs> You're would just be on file stuck from on that robe, aren't you, Edie? <laughs> You got to get over this Hawaiian robe. No, I wouldn't do it. People would mate the Magnum Association. Look, here's the thing. Rampart wouldn't be caught dead in that shirt or that robe. There you go. You know, Rampart's kind of motherfucker that would go around the house naked before putting on that robe. <laughs> well, Vance would have been in San Diego. Uh, it would have been Shepard. Jenny Shepard. She'd have had a conniption. She would not have wanted that kind of attention. The fact of the matter is, but if Tommy's in a relationship with Rampart, he's already turned her down for that whole undercover shit. Oh, yeah. Definitely. There's no way. He'd be like, hell no. And honestly, he might have he might have mentioned to his lover, I'm trying to figure out why the director is running an off-the-books undercover operation that she wants me to do. And, and she might not even be director anymore. <laughs> honestly, it could be Vance because of that. If he's in a relationship with somebody... And honestly, if he's in oh, a that kind of power Rampart, situation, asking questions of the sec nav, saying, hey, um, why is the director of NCIS trying to put um, somebody undercover for the frog? I thought that was a CIA thing. Because if he's in a Rampart, if, if, if Rampart is in Washington circles, he's probably heard of the frog. And the CIA yeah. apparently can't keep their mouth shut in NCIS. No, apparently not. So it, it seems Jenny might not even be in, in, Jenny might not even be there when Gibbs gets back. It might be Vance in the director's chair. And or if it is, else. then his retirement has been pushed through. Yeah, true. True. Unless Vance has some has some use for Gibbs. Which he might, because I mean clearly Gibbs and Vance had some sort of thing, right? <laughs> so if you put if you put Vance in his chair and um You know, honestly, I don't know that Vance would end up in the chair. It's kind of my headcanon actually that when Shepard went down in a blaze of glory, she'd handpicked Vance as, um, as her successor. Well, because he had a connection to Eli David as well. And I think she did that for him as a solid. Right. As a, as a, I mean, technically the, her, his successor would be appointed. Hmm. I mean, honestly, if, if I had my druthers of, of, Deputy directors that I remember in um, NCIS, I'd put Owen Granger down in that seat. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's too, you got to also remember at that point in time, it's two years earlier in Vance's career. And sometimes a couple of years when it comes to something like a deputy or assistant directorship makes a big difference in whether or not they're going to get promoted. Um, but the, oh, and I think Owen Granger would be delicious because he take none gives a shit. <laughs> this is something now here's something I don't know. I don't know who actually appoints the director of NCIS. Is it well, SecNav? They, they are, I think they're actually confirmed, aren't they? Don't they go through the Congress well, I, just like the FBI guy would? Well, I don't know because the, the because they're under the Secretary of the Navy. It's a little bit, even though they're a civilian organization, I don't know if they have the same appointment process. Well, I have a list of positions okay, filled by presidential appointment. Secretary of the Navy appoints the director of NCIS. Okay. And he appoints the, 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 the Secretary of the Navy, right? Yeah. Yes. SecNav is... SecNav is, is presidential appointment, yes. Yeah, okay. I had just never bothered to look to see um, if NCIS director, because is if they're appointed by SecNav. So SecNav would have to... Um, Granger was the assistant director that we see in NCIS LA. Right. Um, he's very um, he's very rigid, um, but patriotic and it just yeah, he'd be my pick. Yeah, and you know it 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 could all it all depends upon an unexpected appointment like that where they could be very careful to be sure that they don't have anybody. It could be it, her coming out that way because of her doing shady shit means they might look even closer at anybody who has ties to Eli David and be very careful not to put anybody in that position that has ties to Eli. Cause clearly I think that an investigation would show that Eli had an agenda. And, and honestly, at this point, Shepherd falls, Ziva goes with her. Yeah, Ziva's gone. And I think I think that I think things would run differently on the team too, because I think that Tony wouldn't this this is one of those things. Like if you give Tony a better support system at home where he's not so invested in getting all of his emotional needs met by the people he works with, he's gonna be different at work. He's not gonna tolerate the stuff. So if Ziva's gone and it's just him and McGee, he's going to have two other agents. Things are just going to run differently. So Gibbs comes back. And if he has Michelle Lee, he probably, I mean, at this point, he could probably keep her off that really ugly path she ends up on trying to protect her sister. Yeah. Or is it actually her child pretending to be her sister? Like she was. I yeah, I mean, because I, you know, honestly, her, um, her storyline was really fucked up. It was her daughter. Yeah. Okay. She she said um, it was her sister, but I can't look at that. You need, you need more help than we can provide. You've exceeded your own medication at, at this point. Look, um, you got Azure putting somebody in the corner. Look. Yeah. Look, the, look what you did, Edie. <laughs> no, Queenie, the daughter, Queenie, they saved the daughter, but Michelle Gibbs killed Michelle. But she, I mean, they, they made it they made it so that it, it it as if Michelle wanted him to shoot her because she was she committed treason. So, um, but yeah, it, it just but, if what if what if Michelle had reached out for help? What if she had felt like there was someone she could? What reach if out when to? her daughter was taken, she immediately went to Tony, 
or reported it to NCIS and said, you know, I'm this is what's happened. And they got her kid back before things got fucked up. And then Langer doesn't die, which I thought was bullshit. Um, yeah. And Jimmy doesn't get seduced and used inappropriately. I mean, it would just solve a lot of problems if we could keep Michelle off that path. Yes. And also, her kid wouldn't be traumatized and motherless. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, if she wants to ride his dick, honestly, then yes. But if she's just doing it because she has to get you know, closer to the team or whatever. That's rude. That's rude. I'm not sure. I thought the kid survived it. She did. She did. She was on that pressure plate and they got her, that, that would have exploded if, if they had pulled her off and they got the bomb disarmed and they got her off the pressure plate. They saved that. They saved her and Michelle knew that she'd been saved. That's why Michelle was willing to let Gibbs kill her. I mean, her daughter was safe, which is what she wanted, but she was still guilty of treason. And so she put Gibbs in the position to have to kill her, and Gibbs did. But the daughter survived. So, yeah, I think we should just, like, make sure that that doesn't happen. And I think a really competent in his game, on his game, not putting up with anybody's bullshit, Tony Genozo, could be the person that she confides in. Mm -hmm. He's her team leader. But having a competent Tony who's looking ahead to what he wants is just always to the better. I just need to look something up. Um, <laughs> should I just record me typing? <laughs> I could put up a whole podcast of just typing. Just just a recording of typing. That wouldn't be creepy at all. I mean chitter, chitter, chitter. See, Tangerine thinks it's motivating. I'm not sure we should take Tangerine seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I always take Tangerine seriously. What's what's Wepler, right? I see I see my dude's name. What's his name? Mike Wepler is going to be in charge of the SGC. <laughs> At some point. Um but no, I mean you know, so but uh I would like to see Tony seeing NCIS as just the next step on his ladder. And just being like, yeah. What's next on my plate? What what skills can I get under my belt here that I can take with me to the next gig? I'm not here to be friends. I'm all for Tony being a special agent in charge, you know, because it's still a field. Technically, that's the highest level field agent is special agent in charge. So Tony can be special agent. He can be fast tracked to special agent in charge. I'm all in. Yay. Um. <laughs> Queenie. Save an agent and ride a commandant. Well, if you're going to ride something, <laughs> it might as well be the highest ranking Marine in the United States. <laughs> so, you know, somebody could ask, are you allowed to, to, to do that? And Tony could be like, he's not in my chain of command. <laughs> At least not officially. <laughs> I, actually, I kind of let him there's chains and commands, but you don't even want to know about that. <laughs> oh, he totally would call him sir. Don't don't even front. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that um, that you'll call Randolph Rampart exactly what he wants you to call him. <laughs> you'd be like, I didn't tell you. Be all, I didn't think I had a daddy kink, but whoa, daddy. <laughs> Let's go home. Everybody and their brother knows Tony Genoso has a daddy kink. 
Well, everybody and their brother knows Tony Donnell's about his daddy issues, which could <laughs> lead directly to daddy kink. But, you know. I can't see it. I can't see it, Edie. I can't see it. No, me neither. I can't see it. I can't. Sometimes I can see a dynamic being t- tossed on, turned on its head, but not that one. That's one that's just kind of like, mm. I just, I, I can't oh, get there. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Um, I'm going to report you all for animal abuse if you don't stop kicking these bunnies. <laughs> Pet the bunnies, feed them, sit down and write your story. Um, so, there's a lot of places. I really do like the idea. The thing is, I will always want Tony to find his ambition sometime before early season, sometime into early season four, sometime around there. If it goes on too long, uh, it looks a lot more like desperation than planning. And yeah, and it also is, I think it becomes kind of a little bit of a black mark on his record that he's his career stalled out. It's like, you know, because at that point his career is not stalled out. He's he's still the senior field agent, and then of of the major case response team at that of the DC field office um, for ec- however many years you have it be two thousand and one to two thousand say two thousand and one two thousand and five, which four years is not out of bounds. Ten years too much. Twelve years too much. That's when his career stalled out, yeah. and it's going to look like why is he stuck in this position? And it, it makes it harder to get him. So to make, because it becomes a question of so, are you incompetent? Or are you too busy sucking Gibbs's dick? Well, the whole Gibbs loyal St. Bernard thing started to become a joke, right? And why did it become a joke? Because it, Tony shouldn't have been there. He should have moved on. He was more he was more attached to um, being working with Gibbs than he was in doing his job. And that it so it became kind of a sad joke. You know, Queenie, that's actually funny because there was an episode where we killed Ziva a bunch of times where Tony was in the house and neither Ari nor Ziva knew it. And when, um, and Tony kills Ari and Ziva. Yeah. Because he thinks they're there to kill Gibbs. Gibbs. Because he has no reason to think otherwise. Uh, but you could also have it be that Tony kills Ari down in the, um, like, kills him, kills him, and avoids all of those problems and avoids Ziva coming to NCIS because he kills him down there in autopsy. Or maybe not even in autopsy. I write, the one of the stories I wrote where Tony is a, um, no, that was Gibbs that did it. Y'all haven't seen this, but in Heathen, Gibbs um, is a sentinel, of course. As, as as he would be, since it's the sequel to Vicious. Um, but it's discussed that the reason there's tension between Gibbs and Kate, because Kate thought Aerie had kind eyes, but Gibbs, the sentinel in his territory, had been invaded by this guy, and Gibbs snapped his neck. Yo, I'll be like, you are not qualified to work with a sentinel, because you don't know how sentinels operate and it's dangerous for you to be on the team with Gibbs because you could interfere with his imperative and get yourself and other people killed. Well, Tony, when Tony meets her and finds out kind of what the environment is like, he gets a read on her and finds that just how judge, how much she judges Gibbs for that kill. And she's very hostile about it, but she 
manages to keep it under control most of the time. But Gibbs is explaining about the team to Tony. And he explains. And so Tony's a little incredulous. It's like, why is she still on your team? And, you know, Gibbs is a little bit like, oh, you know, it's not that big a deal. As long as she gets the job done, I don't care what she thinks of me, which is, I think, very in character for Gibbs. Mm -hmm. But um, Gibbs is talking about, yeah, but she's But it's she's, dumb because she yeah. could interfere and get other people killed. True. Or but she's a little bit killed. Or get but she's killed. But she's disapproving because Gibbs killed Aerie. So Aerie isn't even an issue in that verse because Gibbs killed him um, when he, if it, Gibbs, you know, he's, he sees NCIS as his territory and somebody has invaded it and shot somebody and Gibbs killed him for it. So we, I, somebody may have written it. I don't know, but we did a plot. Oh, okay. Okay. But we'd also long time back. We did a, we talked about it on an episode where I talked about an idea that I'd had where Gibbs, Tony connects empathically um, with Ari when he shoots Kate and Tony basically gives him a empathic lobotomy for it. I'm not mad. That shit's not working. No, no, no. That's not intuitive. I did, I actually I, I started that story. I I talked about it. I don't remember what episode on the podcast it was. It was a long time ago where I talked about it. And the story actually, I initially had started it with a congressional hearing about the whole idea of the feral guys. Because Mossad was pushing it that Tony had murdered their agent. And um, Blair Sandberg had come in to investigate and had found that Tony, um, that the guides could have feral episodes. And that because Tony was actually empathically connected with Kate when she died, that he couldn't be, that he would be covered in the same way that Sentinel was who had gone feral in, a, in, a in that kind of episode. But for a guide, a feral episode looks very different. And so, yes, Tony did deliberately kill Aerie, but it wasn't like it was the way it was being portrayed but also isn't it like fucking self-defense because what <laughs> yeah well in, in the way i wrote it in that tony went to um tony went to um he tracked airy down airy was like dismantling his gun and like tony made it to Ari, the vehicle where airy was and basically just he walked right up to him and just like shredded his mind so he followed the he followed Ari to where Ari's like getaway vehicle was and shredded his brain and they when they they wanted to arrest him and put him in jail and so I sparked the whole story with this congressional hearing and then I decided to back up and and write the scene where Tony comes online and why he and Kate are empathically connected when she dies. Well, what it boils down to really is don't start none won't be none. <laughs> I honestly, I hated the airy plotline. Yeah, I hated the whole thing, and it got even worse when you found out that Eli Devee did it on purpose, and then he actually ordered Ziva to kill her own brother. It got so much worse. Yeah, and she fucking did it. Yeah, who kills their own sibling like that? Especially one that she professed, and the way she they had portrayed her relationship with Ari was like they were close. So her father's agenda was more important than her own brother. Not that her brother, not that her brother doesn't didn't need to be stopped, and it would be good that she'd actually stepped up to stop him because it, she cared. That'd have been great. But um, so anyway, so for me, you I've got like somewhere all the way up till early season four, 
to, for Tony to find his ambition. And then it just starts to become kind of harder and harder. It's not hard to get him out. I've written him leaving NCIS after that. But on the ambition front, where you're looking at him wanting to to have more, do something better, it, it's got to be a little bit earlier in the timeline for me. Otherwise, I think he's got a big issue of to overcome. And also, there's like a certain kind of undertone later on in the series where it's, and I'm not sure if this was a thing between the two actors, because Michael Weatherly wanted more for his character, or if it was just something that I'm imagining. But a lot of times it seemed like Gibbs um, not only didn't want Tony to have more, but imply, it was like he was implying that wanting more was ridiculous and selfish. That probably isn't making a lot of sense. It was just like, there was that undertone there. Like, he was, you know, how dare you ask for more? How dare you want more? Yeah, how dare you want more? Because, you know, because there's nothing more important. There should be nothing more important to you than what I want you to do. Yeah, I think that always be available would work exactly once with um, Rampart. Because he would answer the phone. It'd be like, so, Tony's not on duty and he's not on call what do you need Gibbs <laughs> I really like this Rampart Tony pairing <laughs> don't make me change my pairing for <laughs> November Kara don't make me you've already plotted you have your, you've already done your zero draft don't make me change my pairing hmm <laughs> <laughs> It wouldn't be that hard because it just needs to be Rampart in the room with him, not Gibbs at the time. True, true. I uh, I harassed Lady Holder into a title today for her for her rough trade. You harass? Why did you harass her into because a title? Banner art, and I was like, did, I asked her, "Do you mean do you bet your banner art?" And she says, "Yeah, sure." And I said, "Okay, title, title, <laughs> title." <laughs> Then I was like, I sent her a quote. <laughs> then I sent her a picture. Title. <laughs> I got one, though. I got, I got a title. <laughs> Out of her. Did she sign up? She hasn't signed up yet. But I'm going to show off her art. Show your art. Show your art. Or I'll show your art. But, uh. Let me look for shit. I, I like the idea of Tony either, like, heading up. A new team in CIS um, that really showcases his abilities or going to the FBI. Um, I also like the idea of him, you know, obviously being recruited by... No, I would never let anybody call Randolph Rampart Randy. Not in a million years. Ew. Would he allow... No, he would never allow that. <laughs> that is so undignified. How dare you? Not even when he's Randy. Probably most especially not when he's Randy. Do I know what she's writing for November? Because <laughs> I suddenly <laughs> feel like I don't. <laughs> we did a whole podcast on it. I'm not sure if you've listened to it. I think you bailed on that one because we were talking about something that made you uncomfortable, actually. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there's nothing on what she'll end up writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Being that she's a panther. The pitfalls of panthers. Or or not. 
this heifer doesn't even know her pairing at this point. She's like, well, I think it'll be this and this, but it could be this, this, and this. I'll decide later. <laughs> Which is why there's only one character on her banner. There is pantsing, and then there is pantsing. Well, I have to admit, I, I have a dra- I have a plot, but I'm still a little bit uncertain about the pairing. <laughs> <laughs> well, in your case, it. But you've got your pairing on your banner, so you might as well get with it or redo your banner. I can always redo banners. I just, you know, I'm working. I'm stuck. It's not that I don't think it works for the story because I think it absolutely works. Remember, I had that moment, and when we were doing the the plotty yeah. thing, I was like. I think the pairing is Tony Gibbs and and I yeah. kind of had this and you're like yeah I've been waiting for you to get there because um, <laughs> it totally is in this particular and it would be nice to have a really good Tony Gibbs where Gibbs is honest with himself and, and just you know deals with grief in a healthy way yeah why does she keep saying Randy why is she so mean to me can I put her in the corner for that I don't think she got out of the corner. Because <laughs> is that why she's doing it? It's so terrible. But no, but on a for real note, um, Randolph Rampart would never allow anybody to call him Randy. It's just it's it's like so beneath his dignity. He he it would be just he wouldn't he I doubt he would even answer to it. Yeah. The thing is actually for that story in in my November story, it the pairing wouldn't work and the re and the, it wouldn't work in the existing plot. I couldn't just switch it up because if Rampart's at the hospital with Tony, it's because they're in a relationship and Tony is, Tony is sending when he's in a relationship with somebody is a little bit more angsty than him ascending when he's not in a relationship with somebody because the loss of potential is not the same thing exactly as the loss of something that actually is. Yeah. It'd be devastating. I mean, Gibbs has angst, right? In that because but they're not actually together. Like what could so, have been? Yeah. Yeah, it is the whole more, more the whole what might have been thing. But um if he's in a relationship with Rampart and Rampart has to watch his lover ascend and vanish on him, it, it's just a whole different thing. And also so, he wouldn't have a similar role to what you were gonna give Gibbs. No, no, but he so. might wind up in the chair. Yeah, in the chair. So, so it, it doesn't work quite as well. Um, but I still want that. I still want to write that pairing now. I'm looking at my fluff bingo card. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a very different story, and I, I like the idea of of Gibbs having put off a relationship because he didn't want to get hurt, and then to to face that anyway. And to, and to realize it didn't really matter um, whether he gave in or not the, because the damage was already done. Yeah. You'd be like, that little asshole. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is not what I wanted. <sighs> How the fuck does this work again? <laughs> I mean, you know, because it would be really, like, it'd be really interesting to force him to be honest with himself about his feelings and about um, really investing himself in another person again and what that means. Because I don't think Gibbs ever did that after Shannon. And it's, it, well, it, it's obvious in canon that he did not and doesn't ever intend to invest in anybody else the way he did Shannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So it'd be nice just to see him kind of like just devastatingly in love. And Tony deserves that. Tony deserves to have someone just be, just be full on with it. You know, I think that he needs that to be able to trust it, that it, they have to go full force on it. All in. Stop making a case. Somebody said, stop making a case for good Gibbs, Tony. I don't want to want it. Well, you're going to get it in November, Queenie. Just suck it up. You know, you can't quit me. I don't, I don't know why you try to stop. Just, just go with it. Just go with it. I Tell never me. thought, I never thought I'd write it again, to be honest. Well, that, you guys have heard me. I've talked about it. Mm -hmm. talked about it but, but that's part of the thing is you've got to turn Gibbs at the right point to and you've got and the, and and honestly I think you have to give him a jolt so like in death of silence the jolt in, in that case that's actually very late for the turning of him but it, the jolt is he nearly loses Tony and in this my November story the jolt is that he does lose Tony and also I think it's important honestly to set him in an AU setting yeah, um, I agree. I can't. I would not do. I would not even do canon adjacent at this point for Gibbs and Tony. But like a crossover with um, another show, um, an alternate universe, like with werewolves or vampires. Um, she's not. She's not trying to. I, I'm doing canon divergence in November, but I'm putting him. I'm taking him out of his environs in order to get him on the right path. Jack, Jack's going to give him a kick in the ass. Yeah, he and, and and he needs it. He does Honestly, need it. a lot of characters could use a Jack O'Neill kicking the ass. You can take if him not to Jack O'Neill than 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 Randolph Rampart. He's going to take but, him to that lake with no fish. But honestly, I think if we do another Fick relay, that it, it's really going to have to be a Dick and Bob show. We do need a Dick and Bob show. <laughs> <laughs> we decided a long time ago in a podcast Kaya that Tony Stark is um too super awesome special and busy to cuss people out himself so he has a department in Stark Industries and the people who work there are called Bob and the Bobs are run by Dick and so the Bobs call people who piss Tony off and they cuss him out, cuss them out on Tony's behalf. And it's well known that when you get a phone call from Bob, that you better fucking take it. Because the last thing you want is for Dick to call. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we so you just take your Bob like a man. We had, we had ourselves want Dick to call. Does anybody remember what what Episode, what what podcast it was that the Dick and Bob show started? We first discussed yeah. it because we were in hysterics. We were laughing. It was it, this stuff happens at the end of the podcast, but we were dying. We were laughing so hard. It, it, I, I'm amazed people could even understand what we were talking about because we were just. It was so funny. <laughs> I need to elevate your call to to Dick. Yeah, there are already some. Yeah, people have already written With some Bob picks. Yeah. Cool. The Bob stories. So when Bob calls, you take it. Because you don't want Dick to call. Oh, cool. One of the fixed lists of the podcast that it was in. Uh, so yeah, you can get... But it is... We, we just lost our minds. We just lost our minds <laughs> with that. It so, would just be really funny to have a whole selection of stories of people getting the Bob phone call and then one person being elevated to Dick. And I mm -hmm. think it really has to be Thaddeus Ross. <laughs> 
Ross definitely needs to get a call. For, but Gibbs could get a call from a dick, especially <laughs> if Tony, especially if Tony and Tony are friends. I've written up timelines like I could totally put Tony Stark and Tony Dinozo at boarding school together, and if they've kept in touch, sort of, you know, on the slide years ago, you know, and then Tony gets like hurt at work or something, and and it, it goes past a bob, it goes straight to a dick. And Tony, so, Tony, like we were talking about, who would be a bob? And we all decided that Clint would leave Shield to be a Bob. <laughs> yes, totally would be a Bob. <laughs> and that being a Bob is like, is like the best job in the whole company because everybody you can wants call, to be Bob. It cuts people out with no ramifications. Uh, it's I misspelled fandom in that podcast for fuck's, for fuck's sake, and no one's pointed it out to me. And now you can't fix it either because it'll ruin the link. Well, I can't not fix it. <laughs> it's but anyway, it's the episode that's called uh, "Fandom and Junk: Fusion versus Canon Divergence," and that's when we talk about Bob and Dick. No, she didn't mean Frandom. <laughs> what date was that on? Never mind, I found it. You don't need new links, sweetheart. Like I can't, I can't, I can't believe you guys didn't tell me. Oh my god! Oh, Frandom. It's all I can think of. Like with that is Frandom. <laughs> Um. So, it's not misspelled on the art, is it? No, just in the cat, just in the link. You know, I just found a whole a whole folder of writing that I have not been able to find for months. Oh, the link still works. I'm not mad at this. So the the link still works, but now now it has a correct spelling. <clears throat> um. No, I did not mean random for fuck's sake. It, it, well, at least the F and the R are close by on my keyboard. <laughs> there is that. We should do a Bob Bingo. <laughs> we should totally do a Bob Bingo. Come up with like a bunch of characters that need to get a call from Bob. Um, but um, <clears throat> I think that actually the Feeding Frenzy, which um. Is that is that the official name of the series? The Feeding Frenzy? Yeah. If Feeding Frenzy is okay. the name of the series, yeah. Um, I think that actually really speaks to this whole notion that Tony deserves better and should get better and um does get better. He than does he got get better. In. He gets he way got better. Old. Yeah. And even got it, something he even got something pretty for his bed. He did. He Wait. got something very pretty. And he made lots of friends and, you know, he got he got all the things. He got all the things. And I will be, we're going to get that finished up this month because I'm not dragging that on another month. Um, not yet, Silver, but when it does, we will we will be talking about it because you won't miss it. <laughs> we'll give you guys like a... Because we're super proud of it. <laughs> we'll give you guys like a blink to... Uh, because it's it. over 100K, so you guys are going to need a little bit of time to read that before. Yeah, you're welcome in CIS fandom and Criminal Minds and James Bond and Eureka and Stargate and Stargate Atlantis and MCU FBI and, and, and crossing, cross, crossing Lines and... Uh, Madam Secretary. Warehouse 13. <laughs> Warehouse the Madam, uh, Mag 7. And I mean, I, I'm i going to forget some because uh, Kingsman and we've got everything. I love the Madam Secretary one. That was so good. 
Um, it was so, I, so many of them are so they're, they're all they're all good, but it's just it's like I love myself. Um, some masculine energy. <laughs> and Bess fills that role. Yeah, she did. <laughs> Her theoretical dick is still huge, in case you were wondering. <laughs> I'm sitting here pondering my bingo. You, know, you know what I've been doing here? I've been sitting here pondering my bingo card, trying to decide which square I most want to do for Randolph and Tony. <laughs> I was actually going to do a Harry Potter Draco story for dance, but I think that I might do um, a Randolph Rampart one. I think that would be really fun if, you know, after DAD, after DADT, he asked Tony to dance at like a marine function or something just to just to let his men know that he's on board and also that he wants to get laid. <laughs> and also that he wants, yeah. <laughs> I don't have any obvious ones. And just also to me. let them know that he's still got game. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Look what I'm taking home with me. <laughs> you know, guys, guys, like for the past week, I've been hearing weird ass drums at my neighbor's house and weird ass chanting. You know that scene in Practical Magic where they're where all the women are in the circle with the brooms and they're doing the chanting and it's and it sounds really creepy as fuck? My neighbors are doing that. I would not be surprised if they had have not already summoned a demon. <laughs> well, what if they're just watching Halloween movies over there? As opposed to actually summoning a demon of their own. Summoning a demon, you know, letting somebody else do the summoning. Oh. I mean, it's it, it honestly sounds creepy as hell. If, if I wasn't an atheist, I'd be freaked out more than I currently am. If I actually believed they were capable of summoning a demon, I would be freaked the fuck out. <laughs> just, well, just don't think, the thing is... you. And they do. It's midnight, and they're over there in their backyard chanting. Well, if you don't think of it as demons, you think of it as some unfortunate person from another dimension who happens to have horns. You know, it could be... (laughs) I mean, do you believe that other dimensions could exist? If you do, you have to concede the possibility that they might be summoning somebody from another dimension. I'm just saying. (laughs) Just call... Neighbor Steve and Antler Guy. They'll deal with it. I mean, I think I might need Antler Guy. Or they're summoning Antler Guy. I don't know. Well, if they're summoning Antler Guy, just make friends with him and move on. Az has got the manual on how to deal with Antler Guy. I mean, it's, it's creepy as fuck. It went on for an hour on Sunday night. Right now, my dogs are barking at them. They need to shut up before they get sacrificed. <laughs> I don't know what's going on over there. It's really creepy. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> if they want to summon Tom Ellis, I'm not mad. <laughs> She'll be right over there. Okay, so Tony finds his ambition. How else are we going to? Um, I think it would be really interesting uh, to actually see him in a different career. Um, I honestly w- wouldn't mind riding him. As a Navy SEAL, it, that doesn't, it, it, it doesn't, it, it wouldn't be my first choice, but I wouldn't be upset. Especially like if he ended up um, in the Stargate program, th- that would appeal to me. So wouldn't you write him as a Marine then? Marines, um, well, you know, theoretically, I mean, honestly, considering how much damage a person would have 
from having contracted the plague. Without some kind of serious like sci-fi medical intervention, it doesn't make sense to me that he remained functional duty. I mean, just I'm sorry, my neighbors are distracting the fuck out of me. (laughs) I mean, they're so loud, I fuck they're in my backyard. Let's go ahead and end the podcast. Um, so um I hope this podcast was um entertaining and beneficial and um that it gave you some bunnies that you're not allowed to kick or abuse. And um we shall catch you later. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone.